Well, good morning. Good morning. I'm wondering if I can hear me. Oh, now I can hear me. All right. Hopefully you can hear me. It's more important. Good. Open your Bible, if you would, to Revelation chapter 15. If I didn't get to meet you coming in, my name is Ken DeLage, serve as the senior pastor here. And you are joining us as we work our way through the book of Revelation together. And we're going to enjoy doing that here in just a minute in Revelation 15. So a few years back, and if you were here, you might remember this, the humble county of Louisa. Louisa County, just south of us, put itself on the map. The year was 2011. It was a typical August afternoon, which was suddenly interrupted. What Louisa did was felt as far south as Atlanta, Georgia, as far west as Illinois, and as far north as Quebec. If you were here, you probably know about this. It is the Great Virginia Earthquake. I mean, it's impressive. Quebec, little Louisa. I remember being in the house and I, I heard this rumbling and, and what it reminded me of, what I thought it was, is that noise that your washing machine makes when all the blankets are up against one side and it's on the spin cycle and it just boom, 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 boom. and I, I, it was so loud. I thought something's really wrong with our washing machine. So I ran to the washing machine and stood there dumbfounded because it was off and shaking. And I don't live in California, so I wasn't mentally prepared for this. Uh, it did very little damage. I think a chimney fell over in Louisa. That's about it. But for that, more, they, this is what they say, more Americans felt that earthquake than any other earthquake in history, which is in, incredible. Go, Louisa. <laughs> I don't think, though, that this is a very uh, typical experience of an earthquake. I think typically they're not like this at all. Uh, if you were part of it, it almost felt like a bucket list kind of thing. Like, yes, now I've been through an earthquake, and I didn't even need to leave the state. Thanks, Virginia. <laughs> I don't think that's how most people who've made it through an earthquake feel. If you see them on the news, you, you watch what, what happens. These are devastating events. Uh, loss of property, loss of life. I remember a Mexico City earthquake when I'm just barely old enough to remember anything. Killed a bunch of people. The, the U.S.'s kind of quintessential one was, a, was an earthquake back in 1906 in San Francisco killed 3,000 people on January 23rd, 1556. And if you've got the date in 1556 down to the day, it was a significant day. There was an earthquake in China. They say he killed 825,000 people. Revelation 15 and 16 describe the final judgment 
of God on the earth. Seven bowls of judgment that get poured out upon the world. If you've been with us through the book, then we've seen seven seals of judgment opened up over the earth, and we've seen seven trumpets of judgment uh, blown out over the earth. And both of those cycles, the cycle of the seals and of the trumpets, were kind of partial judgments, warnings of what is to come. Partial and incomplete, where God would send judgment on a sinful world, but in a way where he was still extending mercy and calling people to repentance. The seven bowls that we encounter this morning are not partial. They're not preparatory. They are the final judgment of God saved up for the last day for when the sins of man are finally complete and the judgment of God overflows. And on that last day, God's wrath will cause this world, indeed the universe itself, to be shaken. To be shaken like it has never been shaken before. And an earthquake of, of cosmic, not just earthly, of cosmic scale. All will be shaken. All will tremble. And all will fall. And those whose lives and hopes and dreams and futures are bound up in this shakable world will suffer the loss of all things. And those whose lives and hopes and dreams and futures are bound up in Christ and His unshakable kingdom will suffer no loss whatsoever as we look to Him. So God's going to call us this morning by His Word as we learn of these things. There's a, a simple calling for us in this church that we live for that that cannot be shaken. Live for that which cannot be shaken. So the title this morning is Unshakable. The Lord is calling us to live lives for that which cannot be shaken. So chapter 15 is going to set us up for the actual seven bowls of wrath in chapter 16. So follow along with me. I'm going to read the whole of chapter 15, which is a really short chapter. But uh, follow along God's Word. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them, the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast, and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of the glass with harps of God in their hands. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. 
And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. God's Word. Verse 1 sets apart these seven bowls, these, as it calls them, seven bowls, seven plagues, apart from everything else we've seen in the book so far. The earlier seals and the earlier trumpets were not introduced like this. They were partial. They were preparatory. They were incomplete. These are final. Verse 1, the seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And notice we go straight from there into this gathering around the crystal sea as the conquering church stands in worship of the Lord. And they stand to worship Him and they say things like, great and amazing are your deeds. Just and true are your ways. Who will not fear before you, Lord? See, what's, what's about to happen is God is about to judge the world and the church stands and says, Amen. You are right. You are just. You are true. This is good. And then the sanctuary is opened. And what a fearful thing this is. As these seven angels come out of the sanctuary, they're each given a bowl of the wrath of God who lives forever. And then the sanctuary itself becomes uninhabitable. Such is the ferocity of the glory of God. The, 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 the fire of His presence in judgment is such that angels cannot stay in the sanctuary. The living creatures cannot stand there. And the redeemed church that had just been gathered for worship clears out. And the Lord God Almighty rises in judgment. Which we then read about in chapter 16. Let's read, follow along with me as I read the first three of the seven bowls. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments. For they have shed 
the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. First three bowls poured out by God. These remind us, perhaps, of the plagues of Egypt. They seem to be very similar to the plagues that the Egyptians walked through. The Egyptians who had captured God's people and refused to let them go, who were persecuting God's people, God poured out plague upon plague upon them and that they hardened their hearts against God as God fought for His people to redeem them. We have before us a kind of second exodus as God now fights for His church to protect His church and to remove them from this second Egypt that they are, we are living in. So we see painful sores upon the body. We had seen that in Egypt. The Nile River had become blood and now the sea becomes blood and all the springs of water. And then stunningly, heaven sings. I say stunningly because that wasn't what I was thinking to do as I was reading this. Heaven sings. We might expect it to weep as judgment falls upon the earth, but heaven sings, and it sings at the rightness of God. It sings at the appropriateness of this. Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. You have brought these judgments. They've shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you've given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve. And then in verse 7, the altar agrees. And if, if you weren't here, maybe don't remember, the altar in the sanctuary is, we learned earlier, where, where the souls of the martyrs are gathered and protected. The souls of the martyrs, which earlier had actually cried out, how long, O Lord, are you going to wait to judge the world? And now the martyred saints cry out, yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Judgments of God are to be feared. They're to be feared from verse 7 because He is the Lord God Almighty. And who can stand before the one who has all might unto Himself? They're to be feared because He's Almighty, but they're also to be feared because they are true and just. There is no appeal. There is no... There's no, there's no higher court which say, wait, this isn't right. This shouldn't be happening. They are true and they are just. The judge of all the earth does what is right. So what we see here, we begin to see down on earth bowls of judgment. But we, we come back to heaven and, and we see heaven's perspective clear and unobstructed. Seeing all that has happened and all that is happening. And from the perspective of heaven... The judgments of God, appropriate, as it should be. Let's read the next two bowls 
fourth and fifth, beginning in verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. We have again more echoes of Egypt. Egypt endured a plague of darkness. God sends that again. But first, in the, the fourth angel pours out this bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch the people with fire. This, this is the removal, friends, of something that we talk about. It's a theological term called common grace. Are you familiar with this term, common grace? The common grace is the grace that is common to all people, that God offers to, 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 the, to the wicked and to the good. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Right? The sun shines on the just and on the unjust. God is kind and merciful. And, and it's not like if you're not a Christian, you don't get food. Right? Like, throughout this world, God is kind to those who hate Him. That's called common grace. It's not saving grace. This is the difference, right? Common grace, saving grace. Everybody gets common grace. And here, it's removed. Enough. And the sun is allowed to do what we all know it can do. And it scorches the earth. And then darkness is poured out, interestingly, on the throne of the beast. Capitol Hill of the demonic kingdom. And the center of authority of the demonic kingdom can do nothing. It is simply plunged into darkness. So we have this strange and awesome situation where the sun, its heat increases and its light is removed. And the people do not repent. It says at the end of the fourth and then again at the end of the fifth, the people do not repent. And not only do they not repent, they double down on their not repenting through blasphemy. And they curse God. The one place where their hope could ever have been found. And they cling to the throne of the beast, impotent to protect them. Let's read of the sixth bowl together, beginning in verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophets, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they're demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. 
Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garment on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. We come then to the battle of Armageddon. Actually, we come to the preparation for the battle of Armageddon. The arming, the gathering, the preparing. The battle itself is not described here. We move immediately from the sixth bowl to the seventh bowl. I will say when we look around the book of Revelation to try to find the battle, as in a blow-by-blow description, we will fail to find it. For battle it is not. It is simply the victory of the Lord after the enemies of God gather to fight. But we come now to this gathering for the battle and we see the demonic activity going on. Right? If you've, There's so much symbolism here. I'm going to slow down with this one a little bit to help us just see I want you to see what this is saying, okay? So, so as, we've, as we've walked through, we've seen that Satan is in the form of a dragon throughout the book. We've got the dragon, we've got this beast, and we've got this false prophet. We've seen them before, a few chapters ago, that these, the, the, the beast and the false prophet are, are the two main minions of Satan. One is the kind of power of the state to compel people to, to worship things other than God. And the other is the power of false religion to woo people away from God. Right? These are the two main minions of the enemy. And we see them here with frogs coming out of their mouths. This is a disgusting picture. It's a, three unclean spirits like frogs. They are demonic spirits. And, so, and they're coming out of the mouth of Satan. This is just a grotesque picture of the, the filthy lies that are proceeding from the satanic forces of hell. And what are they doing? They're lying to the people of the earth. What are they telling them to do? Gather for war. Gather together. Come on. Let's go. Let's fight. Now's our chance. We can seize victory right now. And so the peoples of the earth, under demonic inspiration, gather together. Now, what, what's going on with verse 12? We've we got to understand verse 12 a little bit. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. Okay, this is a bit unexpected, because the kings are being demonically stirred up to come and fight. And the angel opens the way. What? What's happening? The angel, his bowl of wrath is to open the way. There was something preventing them. The angel opens the way for them to come and assemble for battle. So this river Euphrates is, we're not to picture the river in the Middle East drying up. This is a historic reference with symbolism. Right? So, back in the day, Babylon the Great was attacked by, by Cyrus the Great. Right? 
and, and Babylon fell to the forces of Cyrus. Right? This huge city, nobody thought it could be conquered. And it sat atop the Euphrates. The Euphrates literally went under one wall, through the city, came out underneath another wall. Cyrus, military genius, they call him Cyrus the Great, diverted the river and marched through in the riverbed and took the city without a fight. Because the city just thought, we've got big walls, we don't even have to be prepared. And the city fell. Because that which was keeping the city safe was removed, the Euphrates River. Right? So, with that as historic background, we now say, all right, so the angel's going to come and remove some inhibitor here to the, to the peoples of the earth, to gathering together. I don't think it's a river, but it's a picture of something inhibiting them. All right, so, so what, what does Satan want to do? Destroy the church. That's what Satan wants to do. Satan is the enemy of God, the enemy of God's people. Who's under God, in charge of this world, the prince of the power of the air, even to today, under God, is Satan. So how is it, if his one goal is to destroy the church, how is it that for 2,000 years he hasn't been able to do that? Why not? Why can't he get his act together? This is, isn't this his plan? Persecute the church right out of existence. Burn all the Bibles. Kill all the witnesses. This is the plan of the enemy. And yet, we can see with our own eyes, he is unable to succeed. Something holds him back. Someone, glory to God, holds him back. But when that sixth bowl is poured out, the restraint is removed. And the demonic forces say, gather for war. We can do it right now. Right now, the church is vulnerable. Let's go. Right now. Right now, we can take, we can take it out. And we no longer need to hear this hateful book about the wrath of God coming. We no longer need to hear it. There will be no more witnesses. Let's go. Let's gather. Now's the time. The river's been dried up. We can get there and take the city. Into that moment, on that terrible day, I would say at the church's darkest hour, lights of hope going out, Christ speaks to his church. Like, he literally interrupts our narrative. If you've got a red-letter Bible, verse 15 is in red. Because suddenly, Christ speaks. And he says, Behold, look, I am coming like a thief. I'm coming like a thief. I'm coming unannounced. I'm coming unanticipated. I'm coming unexpected. When the night is dark and the people of darkness are doing their deeds of darkness, and when my arrival is not so much as feared by my enemies, then I will come. And I will come suddenly, and I will come totally, and I will come with power to save. Do you know what the uh, people who don't believe in Jesus won't be expecting? The return of Jesus. 
They will not be expecting. Those who don't believe in Jesus will not be ready. They will not be expecting the return of Jesus. He will come like a thief. And so he says to the church, hey, take hope, I'm coming. And stay awake. Stay awake and stay dressed. So this is first for us, whew, an invitation to hope at the darkest time in all history. And by extension, at the darkest time in our lives. It is an invitation to hope because our king is still on the throne and he will deliver his people. But it's also implicitly a bit of a warning from the very one who's coming to deliver us. Stay awake. Stay dressed. This is, this is a stay vigilant. Stay pure. Hey, guess what? This world is about to fall. It's a bad time to make peace with it. This world is about to crumble. Don't let it into your heart. Don't live your life for that which is about to be destroyed. Don't build in this shakable world when I've offered you an unshakable kingdom that soon we're going to, next few chapters, Babylon's going to be called the harlot. Now's not the time to get in bed with the harlot. She's about to be destroyed by the king. Church, stay out of her bed. Stay awake. Stay dressed. And the enemies of God gathered at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon, which means the place of gathering. Creative word. And we're brought to the seventh bowl. So follow along as we finish the chapter together, beginning in verse 17. Seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts. The cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. <laughs> Loud voice from heaven. It is done. With this, the wrath of God is finished. And we have this picture then of, of lightning and thunder, flashes of lightning, peals of thunder. This, this is, if you remember in the, again in the book of Exodus, God coming down on Mount Sinai. And he comes down with this, this rending of the atmosphere. Lightning and thunder such that all the people seeing the mountain, they just, they just backed up. And no one dared approach the mountain upon which 
the Creator dwelt. But here He comes down not to a mountain, but to the entirety of His created order. And where will people back up to? And from where can they flee? From the divine presence coming down in wrath. Will they find refuge? Where will they find safety from God in His might? Where is that army that had just assembled to fight against God and to destroy His people? With the rending of the sky, the battle's over. The enemy destroyed. And we are reminded place after place in Scripture. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And the day of reaping has arrived. And the Lord Himself comes down. And with His arrival, there is a cosmic earthquake. It was a great earthquake, such as there has never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. And the enemy city is ruined. And all the cities of the earth, of the earth are laid waste. And God remembered Babylon the great. And that phrase, God remembered, is so often used for His people. God remembered His people in Egypt and then He acted to save them. He remembers us in our suffering. He remembers our frame, that we're flesh. He's gentle with His people. Oh, but this is fearsome here. He remembered Babylon the Great and all the evil she had done and all the wickedness that she had sponsored and all the blasphemies that she had, had spoken and the immorality that she had encouraged and the saints that she had martyred. And he remembered it all. That he could repay it all. And so far from having a place to run, the, the enemies of God, the mountains themselves are running. The mountains flee before Him. No islands are found. The earth melting beneath the weight of its Creator. And friends, if... Remember heaven and the temple? In this moment... It, no one can enter. God pours His judgment on the earth. If that's how it is in heaven, how must it be upon the earth as God pours His wrath out upon the earth? And hail, great hail, falls as divine artillery upon the enemy army. And yet again, Yet again, here we are at the very end, the uttermost, the last words of the enemies of God. And they cursed God. This does not bring about repentance. This does not bring about a turning to God. They cursed Him. The heavens shake and the earth shakes. 
And all that was built in sin falls. And all the monuments to our pride falls. And all the things done in selfishness falls. And everything done that wasn't done for God and for His Christ falls. And is shaken. And is no more. How then should we live? Speak to those who perhaps haven't turned to Christ. God is real. Christ is returning. Today is a day of mercy. Don't miss it. Okay? Don't miss it. Don't miss the day of mercy. Don't put your hope in tomorrow to take mercy tomorrow. You don't know how many tomorrows there are until this, and you don't know how many tomorrows you have either. So the first response, if you're building your whole existence on this earth, which will be shaken, and that is, it's futile. And if I, and if I could say something that's going to sound offensive, I don't mean to offend. It's not just futile, it's dumb. Here's what I mean. You're, think about money, all right? What if I told you X and Y Bank is going to fail on Tuesday. You know what you're going to do on Monday? You're going to take all your money out of X and Y Bank. Right? Because nobody does that. You don't put your investment into something you know is going to fail. And if you know that Tesla is going to go bankrupt on Wednesday, and I know what you're going to do between now and Wednesday, you're going to sell all your Tesla stock between now and Wednesday. At least that's what you ought to do. Because nobody invests in something that they know is going to fail. This earth and every bank and every company and everything in it is going to fail. So stop investing here. It's a matter of smarts. Don't invest where you know it's going to fail. And the Lord God, the Almighty, tells us very clearly, everything in this world will fall on that day. Return to Christ. Church, I don't know about you, but as I think about this passage, I am convicted. I am convicted because I know these things, and I keep going back, building here. I think this is just a, the call to repentance from our Savior who loves us, and who would have us not suffer loss. Listen, if you're in Christ, you're going to be saved on that day. Glory to God. But what are we doing building here in the meantime? Let, 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 us, let us look ahead to the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us build for that and for them. Why do we go about building our kingdoms? accumulating more, worried about our reputation, worried about what people think about us. It's all going to go. And there is a kingdom that will never be shaken. And we get to inherit that one, church. 
Let's invest there. Those investments. <laughs> those investments are good. I don't know what percentage Jesus gives, but I'm willing to trust it. So what does this look like? This is get precise here in America. Um, societal sin is stuff to just accumulate stuff to get three homes to get the next job to climb 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 up that ladder so that we can have our safe world and all of our shiny things and our brand new phones and all of that and church we must escape such thinking church this is here to help us escape all the stuff is going to shake all of it why gather it up right before it all gets shaken to the ground so i'm not saying everybody quit your job i am saying there's different ways to have a job and one is for you and one is for him and where are you with that where are you and don't don't deceive yourself dads it's easy to say I, I i work i work for my children and family maybe do you because the lord's not going to be easily put off on that day what are you building for where are you really investing because everything here everything we do for us will perish Everything we do for him will remain. So I was, I was convicted by this. I was thinking, and how do I, how do I talk about all of life and living for Christ, living for that which is unshakable. So this this one verse came to mind that I think can apply. I know can apply in your specific life and situation simply says do all for the glory of god do all for the glory of god so so go through your life where is that not happening where that is not happening it will be shaken and it will be a complete loss do all for the glory of god so moms parent your kids for the glory of god dads go to work for the glory of god Teens, follow Jesus for the glory of God. Singles, stay pure for the glory of God. This is what it looks like to live lives that cannot be shaken. It is remarkable that Christ left an unshakable kingdom took on flesh came down to shakable earth and was if I can say it this way himself shaken another way to say it he became poor that we might become rich so that we could have by his grace an unshakable kingdom 
This is great news, friends. This is great news. It's not, this is not great news for the world. This is great news for the church that we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken because of Christ. So let's live for him and for them. Worship team, come on up. Church, let's stand. Father, before we begin to sing, just pause, acknowledging your work in our hearts, and would you help us, Lord? Grant us a fresh portion of the helper of the Holy Spirit that we could see where we are building on shaking sand. That we could forsake where we are building on shaking sand. You would enable us, Lord, to do all for the glory of God. So we, we look to you. Enable us to repent. Enable us to follow you. We are grateful for your all-sufficient grace to bring us home on that day. In your name, amen.